Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. How are we doing? I mean, what a beautiful day, right? Just uh, nice to get a little respite from the rain and the beautiful snow. And you are such Californians. I mean, we've been exchanging photos and video of snow. And I mean, snow on anything has flooded social media. Look at this, it's a stick. Snow on the stick. Well, we don't see it much, do we? Kind of crazy. One great church can change the world. All right. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. In fact, just to be honest with you, I got that quote. I kind of stole that quote from, you know, the movie School of Rock where Dewey Finn says one great rock concert can change the world. Anybody remember that? So I stole it from him. But it it didn't, it's kind of convicting to me because it turns out that in the movie, if you've seen it, you know Dewey Finn believes that with all his heart. And he changes everything about his life in order to make that one great concert a reality. And while I know it's a fictitious movie, I also know that millions of people do exactly that. They decide what it is they believe will change the world, and they dedicate themselves to it with passion and energy and resources. And so when I take that phrase and I apply it to the church, and I say, one great church can change the world, I don't know if that's exactly true, but I do believe this. I do believe that God would be pleased if we lived like that, if we acted like that, if we thought like that, if we thought that the power of the church of Jesus Christ could make a difference in the suffering and the hurt in the process of our culture and of our world and of our politics, if we truly believed it. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, you are the handiwork of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He planned for you in advance. Are we in touch with that? Are we in touch with that reality of how we were made, of how we were created for the purpose for which we were created? It matters. It matters how we live. It matters what we think. It matters what we believe about the life of the church and the theology of the church and, and why it matters that we gather like this and why it matters that we serve this greater cause in our culture and in our world. One great church can change the world. Maybe you want to apply that to a denomination. Maybe you want to apply it to the capital C church at large, every persuasion on every corner, in every denomination around the world, but I can't see why God would be displeased. In fact, I think God would be honored biblically if we said the church of Jesus Christ can change the world. Can change the world. 
I'm not sure we should have a lesser vision or a lesser hope. As a pastor for many years, I have the privilege of doing a lot of weddings. In fact, there's a lot of folks in this room that somewhere along the way, I have performed your ceremony. I've learned to say that. I've learned to say, I didn't marry you, I performed your ceremony. <laughs> understand the difference? I didn't understand it fully till my mom got remarried. And I used this phrase one time, I'm going to marry my mom next weekend. I realized I'd have to change the rhetoric around that or be terribly misunderstood. How many people in this room have I performed your wedding ceremony? Look at that. There's a whole bunch of them. And I've come to understand a few things about wedding ceremonies. We, we go through quite a process when somebody's getting married. We, we ask them to do six weeks of premarital because we want them to be prepared for all the, the marital bliss that's coming their way. I, I don't know why people laugh at that. <laughs> and one of those sessions that we spend together is talking just about their ceremony. And, and I, I have learned this over time, that a great wedding ceremony inhales and exhales. It has to inhale. It, it has to be formal and powerful and liturgical. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses to join in holy matrimony, this man and this woman. It's an honorable estate. Instituted of God in the time of men's innocence, signifying unto us the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. It is therefore not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently and discreetly and in the fear of God. It is into this holy estate that these two now come to be joined. That's an inhale. That's a big <sighs> words that will be repeated that you'll hear again and again, the power of ritual, though you have just this wedding, then you'll hear it again and remember. But weddings also have to exhale. And that's where we kind of become a little more informal. And I've learned this over time. When the bride comes down the aisle, that is a moment, and I get emotional. I, I, I used to get a, a little bit emotional, but after my first daughter came down the aisle, I have four, if you're keeping up. Three have made that journey, and I don't know what's going to happen with the fourth because I'll, it gets worse. Every, the next time, I'll just be a puddle on the floor, and they'll come and scoop me. And I've realized over time that, that that moment that the bride's coming down the aisle, everybody does the collective inhale, and they're holding their breath. The bride and groom especially do that. And so I try immediately to provide an exhale. So I, I make small talk when they get down front. I just make small talk. And what I'm waiting for is for them to breathe again. I'm waiting for them. And, and so this is what I say because I think it matters. It's very few times in your life that you realize you are making memories that will life, last a lifetime. But right now, in these moments, we are. Altogether, collectively, we are creating memories that will last a lifetime. And to the bride and the groom, I say, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to be fully present for what's about to happen. So I want you to take a deep breath. Today, 
we are making memories that will last a lifetime. This is a historical moment in the history of this church. It matters. And I want you to be fully present for what it is. So will you collectively take a big breath with me? Nice. It matters. It matters what we think about the church. It matters how we see it. It matters what it is that we think about. It matters how we see our own life and connection to it. It all matters. Paul believed in the power of the church. And what I shared with you a little earlier, Ephesians 2.10, you are the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Are you getting connected to those things for which God has prepared in advance for you to do? The temptation is for me to live for myself. It's the temptation is me is for me to think about my own journey and my own life and how it fits together and not spend as much energy thinking about what God is doing or inviting me to. A few years ago, I was at a conference, and the guy was up talking, and he was talking to pastors, and he finally looked at all of us, and he said, all of you at some point will stand before God, and he's going to ask you a question And how you answer that question will have a great deal to do with how you are leading your church. And I was like, okay. And he said, this is the question God's going to ask you. What did you risk for the kingdom of God? Well, i got to tell you, I'm a risk-averse person. My ideal life is to get in a rut and stay there. I like comfort. I like routine. My wife doesn't understand. You know what? My favorite thing to do is watch reruns of old shows that I've already seen a bunch of times. What does that say about my character? You know? Don't you want something new? No. I don't like tension, and I don't like surprises. I know that Barney and Andy work it out. Doesn't look good now. But I know in about six more minutes... It's all going to come back together. I like that. So when he said, God's going to ask you what you risk for the kingdom, I thought, yikes. I will not have a great answer for that. Then I also believe you don't just make up risk to prove that you can. Amen? <laughs> well, I'll prove I can risk a lot of stuff for God. <laughs> I need a new airplane. <laughs> come on. So here we are. God, in His grace, has led us to this moment. None of us could have engineered a day like today. None of us. The, the, the miracles that have had to happen, the dedication from individuals who have sacrificed greatly so that we can stand on this day and launch the Legacy Project. And so just to get you up to speed, there was the beta testing of the Legacy. That happened in the fall. Then there was the pre-launch. <laughs> and now this is the launch. Don't know what will happen today, but it's just the start of what's going to happen over the next five years. And here's my heartfelt belief. As we risk for God, we're going to remake this campus, and we are going to pay for it in the next five years. Amen? Amen. We are. And you're a part of this moment and this memory. 
Paul is writing in Ephesians, and he's telling us, in fact, chapter 2, verse 10, that I've quoted you a couple of times, is sort of a, a moment in which he's swept away in this long liturgy of what he has to say about the church. It's a massive inhale. And just would take a moment and talk just a little bit about, you know, sort of the biblical structures going on. We know that Romans, which was written from Ephesus, and Ephesians, which was written from Rome, we know that these two represent the very best writing in all of Paul's collections. In fact, so good are the writings in Ephesians and Romans that scholars sometimes say, I'm not sure how Paul was able to upgrade his both theology and his language in such powerful ways. So Romans is this sweeping narrative. It is called his Summa Theologica. It is, it is the summation of all of Paul's theology, the distillation of all his wisdom. It comes late in his life. Uh, Ephesians is the last letter we believe written, but Romans is right next to it. And so we have this language, this powerful prose that teaches us about what it means to understand God and sin and division and reconciliation and atonement and the sweeping things that he write. If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not life, not death, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not principalities, and all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. It's powerful writing and language. Ephesians becomes what you might consider to be the summation of his theology of the church. As high and elevated and as beautiful and powerful as Romans is, it represents sort of the higher level of a systematic theology. But Ephesians represents the life of the church. This is what Paul believes after he has poured his life into planting and building the church. This is what he believes it to be. And this is what he prays over the church in Ephesus, but also over you and over me and over our story and over how it comes together. Listen then to his vision and what he has to say. Ephesians 1.15 For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul has already mentioned in the first verses of Ephesians that we were created for the glory of God. We were created 
to be for the glory of God. We have a purpose to serve that is bigger than ourselves, and it's bigger than our story, and it's bigger than our life, and it's bigger than what's happening to us. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I find myself in a dilemma a lot of times, and that is I am tempted to believe that my small story is the encapsulation of everything. In fact, I measure God's grace by how well He is navigating and maneuvering my small story. And the happier I am and the more things are working out in my small story, the more I believe that God is good and that my prayers work and that everything is happening the way it's supposed to. But, but let my small story get fractured or broken or hurt or damaged, and then I question everything. And Paul is simply saying, listen, you were created for more than just your small story. In fact, very explicitly, Jesus says, you are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of your small story. And sometimes when I'm praying and lost in my own story, because I do recognize this, when I look up, I find hope, I find encouragement, I find a reason to keep going, I find a reason to get up, I find a reason to be passionate, I find a reason to pray, I find a reason to have vision. When I get lost in my small story, I find myself anxious and depressed and overwhelmed. And I think God sometimes must whisper and say, look up, please look up, please look up, please look up. You were created for God's glory. Is that what we're about? Does that get any sort of spot in our psyche? Do we think about that? Do we pray about it? Do we invite it when we wake up in the morning and we head out to do the things that we have to do? Does it show up in us? And so Paul says, there are several things that I am praying over you as I think about the vision and the passion of the church. The first one is this. It serves a vital purpose in the world. The church serves a vital purpose in the world. The church matters to the world. It matters. I mean, I love this reality. Come to know Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will invite you forward. He will... He, he will comfort you. He will give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll work in your life. He'll give you hope. He'll transform things. There's not a better idea going on out there anywhere. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Listen, there's not a person in this room that doesn't need that. Thank you. He's not saying, I'll patch you up. I'll put some kind of, you know, paint job over all the dings and dents. Some of us know that. We're wearing our dings and dents right outside. I'll give you a new birth into a living hope. I'll take everything that's happened to you, and I'll wash it and transform it into something that gives you hope. And even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. You will fear no evil, for I'll be with you. And my rod and my staff will comfort you. I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. In other words, I'll put a spread out while your enemies lurk around. And we'll be eating chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and fresh biscuits. You can fill in your own menu. I'm from Texas. Leave me alone. And you can sit in that space, surrounded by your enemies, safe. 
because that's who I am. Transformation, change, forgiveness, cleansing, fresh starts, new beginnings, freedom from fear. But it's not just for you and me. We become the recipients of this grace and then we pass that grace on to others. Because we're not the only ones who need hope. We're not the only ones who need love. We're not the only ones who need transformation. In fact, we live in a culture that is starving for hope and starving for love and starving for transformation. And we're supposed to get outside of ourselves. And so what does Paul pray? I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I pray that you could see. I pray that you would see. I pray that you would open your eyes. I pray that you would overcome the blinders. I pray that you would overcome the blindness. I, I, I pray that somehow you'd lift your head up and see that it's not just my small story that matters. There's a bigger story going on. I'm a part of it. I've been called to it. I'm a part of this thing called the church. And the church matters to the world. It matters to the culture. It matters to the politics. I don't know how it matters. I don't know how it fixes things, but I know this, one-on-one, -on -one, one at a time, friendship to friendship, conversation to conversation, we have something that is hopeful. We have something that unites us instead of divides us. We have something that allows genuine change in the life of a human being. It's not going to happen out there. It's going to happen in here, in the heart of individuals who surrender their selfishness to a loving God and live for a greater purpose than themselves. And we have this theology. It belongs to us. We have walked through it and experienced it. Perfectly? No. No, imperfectly. Just like everyone else will experience it. They'll get up and fall down and they'll get up again and fall down again and get up again and fall down again. And Paul is writing a letter to say, you Jews have consistently believed that you've cornered the market on righteousness and you're holding it for your own and judging everybody else. Stop it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you can see the hope to which you are called because it is so much bigger than put a Band-Aid on my life. Put an antiseptic on me. I am being created to do good works that the God of the universe has prepared in advance for me to do. The church serves a vital purpose in the world, he said. Number two, it has the power to bring life from death. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he, was ra when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. That's, that's pretty big. I think about this sometimes. Sometimes in my interactions and circumstances I think not against flesh and blood. You know that passage, right? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of evil in the heavenly realms. You, you guys know that verse? Put on the whole armor of God, for your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. This is sort of the other side of that. Do you realize that not only does the church serve a vital purpose in the world, but it has the power. The power that was at work in Jesus Christ raising him from the dead is the power at work in the life of the church. Amen. And it is above all dominion. 
It is above all other things. In this age and in the age to come, we have power. We have the opportunity to invite the power of God to be manifest in our life, to be manifest in our circumstances. I don't know how it works. I wish God, you know, sort of put it in my hands and then I could touch things and it would work and fix. But I don't think that's exactly how God does things. I think he asked a group of believers to come together to believe that the church of Jesus Christ has a greater purpose in the world than what happens on a corner on a weekend. And we ought to have our fingers and hands in all kinds of things, not only around our community, but around our world. We ought to be the salt of the earth, and we ought to be the light of the world. And we ought to acknowledge to one another and pray daily, please enlighten the eyes of my heart so I could see what you see. Not just my life and my story, but God's story and how I fit in and what my part is in this bigger story. Because i got a few years to do my very best to change the world in His name. And I'm not going to do it alone because there is a power that rests in the life of the church. And I don't need to walk around being scared of the culture. And I don't need to walk around being scared of the politics. And I don't need to walk around being scared of the future. I don't need to walk around being anxious all the time. Because the power that was at work in Jesus Christ, raising Him from the dead, is the power that exists right here in His body. And it's available to us when we get our heads up. And we get our hearts open. And we seek Him. And then as if Paul hasn't said enough, he takes it one step further. And God has placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. There's no convenient way to translate that passage. There's a couple of hard ways to translate it. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with either one of them. But here's what he says. I'll give you both. He says, basically, that what we find in this power of Jesus Christ is this thought that we are the body of Christ, that the church is the body of Christ. And he talks about the fullness. So, so there's a couple of things. He completes it all through his body. He fills it in every way. So he could mean that the church of Jesus Christ is the complete representation of Jesus Christ on earth. He could mean that. Is that disturbing to anyone? Well, let me ask it another way. If people are looking at us, and when they look at us, they are seeing the very representation of Jesus Christ in the world. How are we doing? And I know this 10 o'clock service is exemplary. <laughs> but if we just said, how is the church of Jesus Christ writ large doing in being the full representation, the complete representation, the fullness of Jesus Christ in the world? Because Paul may mean that Jesus has invested in the life of his church so that it might fully and completely represent Jesus Christ in the world. And if they want to see Jesus, they just look at us. And if that's what Paul means, we've got some work to do. Amen? We've got some confessing to do. 
We've got some changing to do, some repenting to do. We've got to stop doing some things we've been doing. We've got to start doing some things we haven't been doing. If what he means in this phrase is that the body of Jesus Christ, the church, and we stand on amazing shoulders. This is the story of the New Testament. Jesus, the manifestation of God in the world, empowers on the day of Pentecost the church of Jesus Christ. We consider it the birthday of the church, Acts 2. We stand on the shoulders of those apostles, particularly Peter and Paul, who take a prominent role in leading the church. And both Peter and Paul then say to us, and we're passing the torch to you, the church of Jesus Christ. You will now carry on this tradition. Get it? Get it? God, listen to the pedigree, God, Jesus, the apostles, us. That's a weird plan. And I think he means we are the complete representation of Jesus Christ in the world. But it could mean another thing, because the Greek stacks itself in a way that we could turn it over a little and translate it another way. And that would be this, that the work of Jesus is not complete until the church fulfills its destiny. And that's disturbing too, isn't it? Paul carries this idea. He talks about it in Colossians when he says, my suffering fills up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Weird verse. Doesn't mean that Christ's suffering was incomplete. It just means that we are the continuing story of the body of Christ and our suffering continues to fulfill the destiny that God has invited us to be a part of. And that is not only true in the sense that Paul uses it in Colossians, it's true here when he says, and the church then, fulfilling its destiny is completing what has been left incomplete in the work of Jesus Christ and the church in the future. Listen, I don't like either interpretation. You know why I don't like it? Because it puts so much responsibility on who we are and what we do together. But when I read the bigger New Testament story, what I find is both are likely true. We are the representation, good, bad, or indifference. We are the testimony to who Jesus is and what he's like and what his heart is and and how much he loves and his power to transform. We are the visible representation of that in the world. And we are also those who are working to complete the work of Christ in this world that he has entrusted for us to do, that he is working in us over against that day when finally it will all be done and it will be finished. But we were created to do good works that He prepared in advance for us to do. What percentage of our thought life, of our prayer life, is given to this amazing truth? I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so you could see the calling that you have been invited to be a part of. I'm asking, I'm I'm inviting, I'm challenging you. To to celebrate the power that has the ability to bring life from death. It has the ability to push back the darkness in your home, in your family, in your relationships, certainly. but, But in a much bigger sense. And I'm asking you to remember that you are a representation of Jesus Christ in this world. And I'm asking you to go do it well. With all your heart. 
as if you're doing it unto the Lord. Well, I get asked sometimes, you know, if I'm going to be around. You all sit quietly because, and yet some of you here are the ones who have asked me that question. I, uh, a long time ago, you know, Cindy and I have been here, July will be 35 years to be pastoring this church. And, uh, yeah, you can. Can't applaud or not applaud, you know. Some people are like, isn't that a great thing? Well, it might be. If you're here and you don't like me, it's not a good thing. Like, that guy is never leaving. But a long time ago, I, I adopted this. This image hit me, and it stuck with me all these years, as other churches have called. And, you know, and that is this. Churches are used cars. And uh, I know what's wrong with this one. So when other churches call, and they've polished up the car, and, you know, it looks really good on the outside, I just am always like, hmm, what don't I know? And I've never really been intrigued by those calls and opportunities. It's just never really happened that way. And so what I've really come to believe, and I think Cindy and I share the thought about this, why not here? What's different about doing ministry over there or over there? creates sort of upheaval. And I know God calls people to make transitions and go different places. It's just never happened to us. And as I reflect on where we are in our journey and in our story and in our life, I just want to say this to you. We are committed to this place. Are you? Yes. Will you be? Will you help be a part of what is a history-making story and journey? And this is what I believe. I have struggled with this. I have prayed over it. I've asked God for a sign, which usually meant money. <laughs> Amen? You know, God, if you want us to build this building, a million dollars would be awesome. I think God just goes, that's not how I'm going to do it. Uh, none of us can do great things. But all of us can do small things with great love. And together we can do something wonderful because I think he wants this to belong to all of us. All of us. All of us. All of us. And I'll be honest, I don't know if we'll get pledges and commitments for the whole $4 million this morning. Pray so. If so, I'll be out celebrating somewhere tonight. I'll take a vacation or something. I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> but this is what I believe. We're launching. A year from now, we're going to exhale a little because we're going to dedicate a brand new campus. Not a new building, but a brand new campus. And then within five years, we're going to let the rest of our air out when we pay this thing off. Because we're not going to leave a legacy of debt for the next generation. We're not going to saddle them with that. We're not going to give them that. We're going to give them a brand new facility that sparkles and shines and works and functions. And we're going to hand them the keys debt-free. And I believe with all my heart that that's what's going to happen. Now, 
Hopefully you got a little paper card when you came in. I'm going to give you some other choices. There's a QR code we're going to throw up there. That's for you people that can't navigate all the way through the website to the legacy page. <laughs> but that QR code will take you right to the legacy page. And on that page, you'll see beautiful pictures of the artist's rendering. And then you'll also see two tabs. One says pledge card. You'll see the pledge card. You can click that and fill it out right online. And then you're all electronically together. The one below it says, now that you've made your pledge, here's a way to set it up online so that it comes out every month or every week or once or however you decide to do that. You can do that all online. If you're with us online, you can access that. If you want to go to the website itself, you just click on the main menu. There's a tab that says Give. When you hit the Give button, it gives you choices. The second choice is the Legacy Project. Take you right to the Legacy page. And you can participate that way. You can participate on the paper. You can participate in this moment. You can participate tomorrow. You can participate a year from now. You can do all of the above. My commitment to you is I will keep you informed. I will tell you what is happening. We will stay at this until we have paid off and transformed this campus. And we have seen a miracle together. And I want to thank you for being a part of the launch of that dream and of that vision. I hope you will hold this in your memory for a long, long time. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back. We're going to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. And as we sing that doxology together, we're going to have a sacred moment to pass these plates in intangible ways to remember you were created for God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he planned for you in advance. Let's be faithful. Pray with me. God, thank you for the miracles upon miracles upon miracles upon miracles that bring us to this moment. So many of them predate the idea or thought of remaking this campus back to transforming this church and leading new folks in, faithful folks who have served and given and loved and cared and fed homeless people in L.A. and given to missions and sacrificial lives over and over and over and over. And so many who have sacrificed greatly financially with their time, with their energy, with their expertise. So we stand here on this Sunday morning, February 26, 2023, permits in hand, variances in hand. Everybody said yes, 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 yes. You're legal, you can do it, go. And God, we're going to go. We're going to walk through that door and trust you and invite you to do work in us. And we're going to be a part of something wonderful. We're thankful. Guide us. Bless us. I pray now your grace, your provision, your mercy, that you would provide for each person as they make these commitments. Bless their homes, their families. Make yourself known in us as we risk for you. We commit it to you, the project, the gifts, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said together... Amen. God bless you.
Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.